search goes on in San Francisco for the man known as the Zodiac Killer. In New York, the search continues for the 44 caliber killer. See if you can explain to me why I would want to be a Scientologist. Betches Media presents... Tell me we have a lead. Stone Cold, no. It was literally like the Hunger Games. Not another true crime podcast. What can I say? Tough titties. It's all fun and games until someone gets hurt. <laughs> Hey, they're not another true crime podcast listeners. So this episode is a special little bonus one. Me and Sarah went on Reality Life with Kate Casey, uh, who we're obsessed with. We went on her podcast to talk about the Netflix documentary, Carmel, Who Killed Maria Marta. It's in Spanish, English subtitles. You need to watch it. We're so hooked. And if you did watch it, you're going to love this episode that we popped on over to her podcast to talk all about it. And we're probably going to do a wait what on it down the line because me and Sarah are now obsessed with uh, documentaries not in English. It's our new addiction. So we'll see you on Monday and we'll be back with another uh, regularly scheduled episode. Sarah and Danny are hosts of Betches Media's Not Another True Crime podcast. They love true crime and so do I. I have roped them into watching the Netflix docuseries called Carmel, Who Killed Maria Marta? Welcome to the show. Kate, thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. On your level of annoyance from one to 10, where do I stand after having you watch all these episodes? Are you okay with it? Uh, Have you made peace with it? Am I going to get a dead horse's head delivered to my house? (laughs) I kind of felt like by the end of it, I was like, can I speak Spanish? I can at least understand it, right? No, exactly. There are a few people that I would like read for like out of like I would spend a weekend reading and that's what the subtitles were. And I was like, Kate Casey is one of them. And now you made me realize I think I would like more documentaries to be subtitled like true crime because I felt like I focused so much more on it. Isn't oh, yeah. Truth. Oh, my God. You, there's, you could not. That was at first driving me crazy. I thought I cannot Google anything. I can't text anybody mm-hmm. because I really have to pay attention. I just drank wine through it. I was like, oh, I'll have like red wine. And I'll be Spanish. I'll be cute while watching this. And yes. I'm like, I blacked out. I forgot half. I was like, what's happening? So I had to rewatch. Yeah, <laughs> but it was worth it. <laughs> so were you familiar with this case, with the story at all? No. I had never heard of it, which is, which is wild. Because it was like a huge one there. I feel it was a like huge there. And I'm like, how did this not make waves in America? So let's go through the case. Now, we understand that she was playing tennis. She comes home. She's found in the tub. There's blood all over the floor. Her relatives, her husband and her relatives come home. And the police are eventually called. They say, or her husband suggests that maybe she fell, hit her head on a beam, and then we come to find out once the bodies exhumed that there are bullet ho- holes in her head that were filled with glue. What in the hell is going on in Buenos Aires, Argentina? I really did have a lot of questions because I was just like, wait, you guys called the prosecutor to the crime scene? That was bizarre to me. Um <sighs> And, and just a lot of stuff like that. I'm like, she she had five bullets in the side of her head and it looked like a fall. Like, how? How small are these bullets? That's what I don't get from the get-go. I'm like, where, where, it, who was looking at anything? Was people just like with their eyes closed, like pin the tail on the cause of death? <laughs> like, I did not know how they were running the show there. Well, and then the husband says, I never thought she was dead because he found her unconscious in the bathtub. You never thought she was dead with all those bullet holes in her head? And blood? Bizarre. 
it's, it's so bizarre to me. And also so bizarre that they just kind of didn't even like think they were just like, oh, I guess this is what happened and nothing. And even for the Netflix documentary, the first episode, I didn't even, I was like, oh, maybe I guess she did just fall. And then I'm like, bullets episode two. I know okay. they convinced me. And, and why did it like, take so long to get to the bullets? I knew everyone in her extended family took it two episodes in to learn that she died by bullets. Yeah. So he calls for an ambulance and doctors quickly deemed it an accident. Maria, a sociologist who'd worked for a foundation for missing children, which by the way, added an extra layer because you're like, someone might be kind of pissed that she's calling them Mm. out for kidnapping somebody and seemingly hit her head and drowned in the tub. She was 50 years old. The doctor who filled out her death certificate listed the cause as non-traumatic cardiac arrest. I think that's a bit of a stretch, my friend. Her family signed off on it, and her body was interred barely 24 hours after she died. And meanwhile, the police never came to the house, and no one called them. But not everyone was on board with the official explanation. Her family said that someone must have broken in, that perhaps having come home early when her tennis tennis match was called off due to the rain, she had a surprised robber in the act and maria's stepbrother insisted that local authorities take another look at the case yet it was an ambulance driver at the scene who first told investigators that, that there had actually been at least three holes in her head and not holes consistent with banging her head on the top on the tap and about a month after she'd been interred at recoleta cemetery not far from the gravesite of former argentinian first lady Eva perone Prosecutor Diego Molino Pico ordered the exhumation of her body, which, of course, we know they learned there were five bullets in her skull and determined that a sixth bullet had grazed her head. So the local media goes wild with the news that the domestic accident that they had been told about was actually a fatal shooting, especially since it came from a wealthy, wealthy, beautiful neighborhood. And I have to say, if you're someone who loves Zillow, check out those houses because those were gorgeous. (laughs) During a search of the house, investigators discovered what turned out to be bullet fragments from a plumbing pipe. And as the docuseries recalls, the papers seized on the discovery of the thingy that Maria's stepbrother, John, acknowledged flushing down the toilet. Furthermore, traces of blood were found that indicated Maria had been first attacked on the ground floor of her home before being killed in her upstairs bathroom. You lied to me, Molina Pico accused Carlos at the time. And with that, the prosecutors had a homicide investigation on their hands, telling reporters, I'm the one who has to determine who killed her. So, of course, some people think that the husband had to have done it. He goes to jail for some time. Uh, He's obviously released from jail because he's doing some interviews on his couch while smoking oh, right. and I thought <laughs> I, this guy's living the real life am I right he really is <laughs> I love that he was just full on sitting like a boss lighting a cigarette being like I was thrown in jail what you're like okay, I, okay but sir. then simultaneously like trying to convince us that house arrest was worse than prison oh. he was like ah in prison I could like play cards here I'm uh, but I know, but I, then I thought about it and I do think I remember watching a 60 minutes on jails in Germany and I was like their jails are pretty nice so I don't know maybe in Buenos Aires they do have like places where you can play poker and chess and hang out and watch telenovelas maybe it's not so bad maybe you get a Martha Stewart moment when you're just like oh my god like they only have like a few types of green beans but I still get to make my casserole yeah <laughs> maybe okay so the indictment that was presented on February of 2004 alleged that Carlos the husband had been laundering money for a Mexican drug cartel mm-hmm. and had killed his wife who was involved with the criminal enterprise with the help of two unnamed accomplices to keep her from talking Moreover, everyone who gathered with him at the house in the hours after he reported finding Maria's body from her brother to the masseuse tried to help Carlos cover it up, fear of the cartel having imposed silence upon those that were tied to the crime. 
do you guys believe this is plausible in the indictment from the prosecutors suggesting that the husband had worked in cahoots hello uh with the family members and that they were terrified of a drug cartel coming after them i don't know because they never really unless i texted through this part (laughs) <laughs> they they didn't like seem to present a lot of proof about the cartel, but no, I they do. Did not. No, they did yeah, not. They were just like, oh, uh, it was them. Um, but I do agree that like the family acted super suspicious and mm-hmm. and like they would have to be, I don't know, huge bumbling idiots to have made like so many just accidental mistakes that mm-hmm. covered up someone else's crime, like flushing the bullet down the toilet and like not letting the police in and all that other stuff. And also they were getting to a point too when it was almost like Mamba number five, how many people they were listing was involved with. They're like, Jessica, Tam, I'm like the masseuse, someone down the street, the ambulance, the person who works at the Starbucks nearby. I'm like, all these people are involved to get this one woman cover up. I don't think like, it just seems too much energy. And I know like drug cartels do have that energy and do have the push. I'm not shading their work ethic, but I feel it might be a little, like they might be putting a little too much stock in their reach of these like 45 people that are involved in this scenario type of thing. Yeah. Maybe the drug cartel people are like, appreciate it. We like the press, but actually not involved. (laughs) So according to Argentina, Argentina Noir, new millennium crime novels in Buenos Aires, which probed how various fictional stories were inspired by real life cases. One family member was accused of obtaining a false death certificate. Two others were accused of tampering with evidence. The first medic at the scene, the doctor would sign the death certificate, and nine funeral home employees were also accused of being part of the alleged cover-up. So too were the masseuse, as Danny mentioned, uh, who had showed up for an appointment that afternoon not knowing Maria was dead. Now that's a big bummer. You're a masseuse, you show up to a house, and she's dead. I don't know, probably time for you to change careers. Accused of right. helping them clean up, clean up the blood. A neighbor who allegedly told the Carmel Country Club president to keep police out of the community and pay them off if mm-hmm. he had to. And a female friend of Maria's who insisted to authorities that no auto- autopsy was necessary. Melina Pico's critics, he's again this detective, accused him of throwing everything at the wall to see what would stick. So determined was he to close the case that he was shaping facts due to his theory rather than letting the facts guide his investigation. It is my experience with a lot of these countries that they have these grand theories that are based on the most bizarre things. Like in the Amanda Knox case, they, they believe there was like satanic worship. I feel like in Argentina, the criminal system, I'm like, these people make up stuff in their minds and it doesn't matter how much evidence you have. It's crazy. So Carlos pled not guilty, was acquitted of his wife's killing in 2007. By then prosecutors had quietly dropped the cartel motive. No solid evidence having come to light as mentioned, but the prosecution appealed and the appellate court convicted Carlos. And in June of 2009, he was sentenced to life in prison for aggravated homicide. In September of 2011, five of the people accused of aiding in the cover-up were found guilty and sentenced to anywhere from four to six and a half years in jail. But two months later, they were all freed on bail pending appeal. So if you were in Argentina and covering this case, it must have felt like whiplash. Because uh, now- The, the in amount of edits, yeah. I know, <laughs> the amount I, of edits that they had to go back and forth to be like, oh, wait, guys, no, he's not in jail. Uh, he's in jail. <laughs> like, I, I ho- so many corrections. Their poor software system, yeah. 
In 2015, three of the sentences were upheld while a fourth was dismissed. The fifth person convicted had died by then because, of course, his lawyers having immediately appealed his conviction, Argentina's highest court overturned Carlos's guilty verdict in December of 2016 after new testing showed that his DNA didn't match any traces found at the scene. Why could we have not gotten that ahead of time? And so the investigation remains open. I ask the two of you, given the amount of episodes that you watched, oh, man. your expertise in crimes uh, via podcasting, <laughs> your degrees in armchair forensics, your feelings, <laughs> where do you stand? Who do you think committed this crime? Sarah, you go first. I think that sketchy guy, the, the sketchy neighbor, Nicholas, whatever, they, they, all of a sudden they were like oh yeah by the way he was a total thug who would steal people's shit and try to hold our dog ransom yeah yes like and they, they kind of slipped that in yeah, oh by the like way just as a the side lead. note we have this weird neighbor there were two accomplices and one of them in the drawing that someone had made of uh this strange woman who was a maid she looked remarkably like the neighbor's wife that's the, the, I was just like, why are they not, why are they dancing around this in the documentary? Because sometimes I feel like Netflix documentaries come out to bring more light to uh, <laughs> like um, suspects that they feel like didn't get their due time and kind of like biasly paint a picture against them, which I'm like, okay, but you know, if you got, if you got to flaunt it, but for them, they're just like, oh yeah, the Bonchero guy, be like, why is no one always talking about him? Like he, yes. if the entire neighborhood is afraid of him, right? <laughs> and, like they got in an altercation, like a tiff with the dog, like a little bit before. Why are we not pointing fingers to them? Him. It was, it was very Dateline NBC to just throw in the real <laughs> facts of the case and the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the third part of the show. And also the crazy neighbor, uh, his father owned the development. So if he calls his father and says, whoopsie, just murdered my neighbor, the, the guy in Argentina who has this beautiful development and a country club in the middle of it, that's a lot of insurance recovery money that he needs to get. So it's in his best interest to cover up the crime, get her body out. And one of the death certificates said she was, she was deceased. She, she died in an apartment building in Recoleta, which is close to the yeah. cemetery, I'm thinking they needed to have the death certificate note another place of death because they don't want anyone to know that someone died within the gates. This is mm-hmm. very Real Housewives of Orange County. But a hundred, but I think you're a hundred percent on the money. Yeah, because it's like they don't want the property values to go down. They don't want Correct. this little gated community plagued, and they want it to still be this idyllic thing. And like, oh well, you know, whatever. Like, we can't help that uh, her husband was involved with drugs, something like that. But like, they're crazy but everyone else is so nice here and you'll be happy here next to my son, Panchero. Yeah. And they also wanted to, wanted to make it seem like Carlos was, uh, was involved with the drug cartel because that, that at least they can get rid of the dead weight and get him out of the neighborhood and the house value still remains high. I kind of want to visit that house though. Does that make me sick? I don't know. No, <laughs> no. I uh, that would be like that could be your new thing. It's like VRBOs, but for where murders happened, and you just stay there for a week, snuff out the stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I bet there is. There's probably some like that for that. Yeah, yeah, that has to exist already. Like air, yeah, air DOD, air dead or air DOA, air dead on arrival, uh, and you get there. Oh and my you're just god! Like, so who died here? Yeah, it's a whole fun little feature. I mean, that there's a market for that. There is a market for that, <laughs> like, and then you could have like a psychic stay with you, and then they could channel. <gasps> Right? 
Okay, well, did you guys remember that part in the documentary where there were like this one woman was like, yes, I've been a legit journalist for 35 years. So I decided to bring a medium into the house. And I was like, ma'am. But that is very, that's very, um, I feel like the South Americans, that would probably be quite normal. They're like, well, we brought in a Reiki expert, a psychic. We had somebody that does tarot cards and they would be the first line of investigators, not the people that have degrees in forensics. So in the end, are we all in agreement that Nicholas, the neighbor, killed Maria Marta? Seems the most likely to me. Like who else would have participated in like a burglary gone wrong except the neighbor who we already know likes to steal everybody's shit exactly and while there might be motive about her because of her job and her situation but i feel like in a gated community i feel like almost it has to happen that it comes from within the gate like the call is coming from within the house how can someone yeah. just casually get in there without them noticing them like just some random person who was mad at her versus someone who was already there they're like right. oh he's just walking his Stolen and also, dog. again, at the end, like, I swear, this was like the last 10 minutes. They were like, oh, yeah, by the way, like the security cam was out, like they cut the <laughs> alarm or something like that. Like, it, it seemed to be an inside job. And I was like, you didn't think to bring this up earlier. Truly. Netflix just wants my views. Mm-hmm. Well, they achieved it. We gave yeah, it they achieved it hard. Yeah. What is your next episode about? What Which true crime are you going to be tackling in your next episode? I, well, we're doing the, uh, we just uh, uncovered this, uh, we call him kind of an icon, a scam icon. Love him. It's this, have you heard about the guy who pretended to be a Saudi prince? Yeah, for like 20 years or something <laughs> insane, he pretended to be this like fake Saudi prince. My friend brought this up because the guy was from Michigan. My friend was like, did he even speak Arabic? And we're like, I actually don't know. That never came up in all the research we did. <laughs> like, we don't even know how hard he really researched the scam. <laughs> Oh my God. Amazing. Well, where can they catch your show? Tell us where we can catch your show. Ooh. Uh, on all podcast platforms at not another true crime podcast. Just search that up. It's by Betches Media, you know, so we have a, we're a little Betchy there. We have fun. <laughs> and where can they follow you on social media? You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Sarah Lameem. And you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and I, I, maybe it's my seamless name too, at Cashmere Danny, <laughs> Cashmere with a K. If you somehow are able to see my packed orders, please don't tell anybody. Those are very personal to me. Well, thank you a million times. Thank, thank you, you so, much. so much. This is fun. so fun. Betches.